I'm going to read. So if you've got your Bibles, we're reading from John chapter 10. Um, I'm starting at verse 22, and I'm reading to verse 42. I'm sure Jill will have it up on the screen. Yep, there it is. And that bit at the bottom, fellas, I haven't got a clue whether that makes any sense or not. All right. So you, you, you'll have to tell. Is that okay? Good. Good stuff. Okay, this is what it says. It says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. From which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of the Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit you would teach us today that your Son, Jesus, will be glorified and that we would know him more deeply as we leave here today and that this knowledge, this, this truth will change us from the inside out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this uh, dramatic face-off, and it was dramatic, between Jesus and the Pharisees took place during the Feast of Dedication, it says. We can't read about this feast in the Old Testament because it was introduced during the 400-year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is called the Intertestamental Period. 
This is the 400 years where God didn't send a prophet to Israel. God was silent. It was very similar to the 400 years that the Jews were enslaved in Egypt. 400 years then God sends Moses. And again, 400 years between the prophets and God sends Jesus. So clearly this was a foreshadow of what was to come. And during the 400 year, this 400 year intertestamental period, Israel was conquered. It was conquered by a man called, and I'm going to try and pronounce it, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the king of Syria. You don't have to remember that. All right. He was the king of Syria. And upon conquering Israel, Antiochus, he criminalized all Jewish worshiping practices. Okay, so he outlawed the public reading of scriptures. He outlawed circumcision. All of the feasts, they were not allowed to be celebrated by the Jews. And any temple worship was outlawed. Uh, the most grievous sin, though, of this Syrian emperor was that he desecrated the temple altar. He used the altar in God's temple to sacrifice to Zeus. And in 164 BC, a man called Judas Maccabeus rises and he leads an army of Jews called the Maccabees, these rebels into battle. And he, he, he leads them to fight against a much larger Syrian army and they won. Jewish lives were lost in this battle, but they were able to reclaim the temple. And to mark their victory, they rededicated the temple for worship to the true God of Israel. They built a new altar. All that was desecrated, they burned and got rid of. A great celebration took place on this day. And it was decreed that this feast would be celebrated and shared every year from then on. And it still is to this day. This feast is called Hanukkah. Have you heard of that? The Americans call it Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah. So it was during this feast and celebration that the Pharisees circle Jesus and aggressively interrogate him. Typical Pharisees, right? Always the life of the party. You can imagine Jesus and everybody else during this fe feast thinking, really, are you going to do this now? We're having a good time. And now you want to start asking these questions. Instead, it says that they gathered around him. This sounds very civil, doesn't it, in the English translation? They didn't gather around him. They circled him. And they interrogated him aggressively. It says, this is what the Pharisees said, how long will you keep us in suspense? Again, it doesn't translate very well in the English. It's how long will you frustrate us? How long will you anger us? Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly, but Jesus was not intimidated. He answers their question, but not how they wanted. Jesus says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. I've told you already, Jesus says, I've told you. And my answer hasn't changed. In John chapter five, Verse 36, Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm sticking to my story. 
Jesus said uh, this after he healed the man in chapter 5. There was a lame man. He was lame for 38 years. Jesus healed him. And he said these words, these works that I'm doing, they bear witness about who I am. What are some of the other works Jesus, uh, rec uh, John records of Jesus in, the, in, in his gospel? Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus feeding 5,000 men and women and children on top of that with five loaves and two bread, uh, five loaves and two fish. Jesus walks on water and just recently in chapter 9 we read about how Jesus gave sight to a man that was born blind. This man who was, who, who was once blind, he says, never since the world began has it been heard that anybody opened the eyes of a man born blind. Jesus displays a power that has never been seen before. He must be from God, he says. He said, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. These are some of the works Jesus did. And they bear witness to who I am. But Jesus says, you don't believe because you are not my sheep. Jesus uses the sheep and shepherd analogy again. This is a different time a different place, a different story to the one that I've been teaching over the last three weeks. Different time, different place, same Jesus. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, he says. I know them and they follow me. They listen to me. They obey me. They trust me. You don't because you're not my sheep. He says to my sheep, I give eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And nobody is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He says, I and the Father are one. Here, we have a wonderful promise. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The Good Shepherd gives eternal life to his sheep. They will never perish, he says. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, my sheep have been given to me by my Father. The God you claim to know and love, he has given them to me. And no one can snatch them from his hand. Notice how Jesus describes his works and God the Father's works interchangeably. Nobody can snatch them from my hand. Nobody can snatch them from the Father's hand. We are of one mind of one will, working together, I and the Father are one. However, what is good news for the sheep is bad news for the Pharisees. Whilst Jesus' sheep have a wonderful promise, a great and sure hope of eternal life, the Pharisees receive a damning verdict. You do not believe because you are not my sheep. You Pharisees, the Father hasn't given you to me. You're not in my Father's hands, and you're not in my hands. This promise of eternal life, you do not grasp, because you will not come to me. Instead, you hate me. And it says in verse 31, again, the Pharisees picked up stones to stone Jesus. This isn't the first time they've tried to do it. The Pharisees were a violent people. And when faced with Jesus, they were full of anger and rage. And it turned them, it, it revealed to, to the world 
their hearts. They were ready to stone Jesus. But whilst they were picking up stones in verse 32, it says, Jesus asked them a question. I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Which one is it? Is it for healing the sick? Is it for feeding the hungry? Which one? They said, it's not for a good work that we're stolen you. It's because it's for blasphemy. The Pharisees asked Jesus, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? What was Jesus' answer? I and the Father are one. This is why they picked up stones to stone him. They said, because you being a man make yourself God. But Jesus doesn't apologize. He doesn't say, sorry, sorry, that wasn't my intention. I didn't, I didn't mean to make myself equal with God. You've misunderstood. He doesn't apologize. He reasons with them. He says, and this is in verse 34, he says, Is it not written in your law, Psalm 82, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I say, I'm the Son of God? You can imagine the Pharisees standing there, confused, completely disarmed. Jesus has used the word of God to expose their lack of understanding. Whilst they're standing there trying to figure out what Jesus has just said, Thinking, how, how are we going to get out of this one? He's, he stumped us there. Jesus reasons with them again. In verse 37, Jesus says, look, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, don't believe me. Don't believe that I'm the Son of God. Don't believe that I and the Father are one if I'm not doing the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you find it hard to believe what I'm saying, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. So Jesus returns to his original line of argument. What a man says about himself is authenticated by how he lives, by what he does. Jesus says, I know you find my sayings difficult. I know they're challenging, but look what I've done. Look what I'm doing. Surely then you will come to know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Surely when you look at my works of power, when you look at how I have loved people, when you see that I do these things for the glory of God, you will recognize that I and the Father are one. And this is consistent with Jesus' teaching recorded in other Gospels. In the book of Matthew, Jesus teaches this, Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from, from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You will know them by their fruit. You will know someone's true nature by virtue of what they do, how they treat people, 
how they live and what by what power they live by this is how you know who somebody is not by what they say about themselves but how they walk look at my works jesus says look at my works believe my works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and i am in the farmer here are the three ways jesus demonstrates that he and the father are one three ways he demonstrates the power of god in his works he demonstrates a great power he heals the sick jesus calmed the storm i know you're used to the stories i know you've heard it jesus said to a storm be still and it was still jesus drove out demons jesus rose people from the dead and jesus himself said i raised myself from the dead in verse 18 of chapter 10 we looked at it last week jesus says i have authority to lay down my life and i have authority to take it up again jesus had unrivaled power he demonstrates his works demonstrate that he's he and the father are one because he demonstrates the love of god jesus shows compassion to those that were suffering Think of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Jesus showed her everything about her life. He exposed all of her sin, and yet he doesn't condemn her. He turns a prostitute woman into an evangelist. Do you remember that story? Or the woman that was caught in adultery that the Pharisees brought towards Jesus. They wanted to condemn her. Didn't bring the husband, mind you. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. He redeems this woman and he sends her out completely restored. Go and sin no more. The love of God. He feeds the hungry. He heals the sick. The blind man that the Pharisees cast out of the synagogue, Jesus goes and gets him. He seeks and he saves the lost. That's why I'm a good shepherd. Jesus demonstrates the love of God. And finally, he does his works for the glory of God. He does his works in his father's name, he says. Jesus didn't work for selfish gain. When, when Satan tempted Jesus, he said, prove it. He said, do a miracle and prove you're the son of God. Jesus said, no. The Bible says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus was completely and utterly obedient to God the Father, even to the extent of laying down his life on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins all of the works jesus did he did in the name of the father unrivaled power unrivaled love unrivaled obedience these works jesus said point to who i am you want to know who i am look at what i do believe in the works he says that you may know me Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Something I want to point out to you today, brothers and sisters, and that there are some people we're going to come across in our lives, and no matter how much we reason with them, they will not put their faith in Jesus. No matter how much evidence we present to them, proving that Jesus is God and that only 
through faith in him, one can inherit eternal life, they still will not believe. It's like the great Messi versus Ronaldo debate, right? For those of you that have no knowledge of football, they're two great footballers. And, and there are fanboys on both sides, okay? But to the trained eye, it's obvious. The, the evidence is clear. Messi's the greatest, okay? Facts, you know it. Yet no amount of evidence is enough to convince the Ronaldo fanboy, is it? No amount of evidence. Messi winning the World Cup, scoring two goals in the final, being man of the match and player of the tournament, it's not enough. They're still going to send you videos of Ronaldo scoring a penalty against some part-time goalkeeper, part-time butcher in the Saudi Arabian League with an with emoji of a goat. They're still going to do it. You can't reason with people that have made their minds up. But this is a trivial example, isn't it? This question of who is Jesus bears the weight of eternity on its shoulders. And sadly, we see here with the Pharisees that no amount of reasoning is enough to convince the heart of someone who loves their sin more than they love God. Satan knows who Jesus is. Satan knows he's the son of God. Satan knows his supreme power. Does Satan love Jesus? Does Satan willingly bow the knee before his majesty? No. The Pharisees, they've, they, they, they've seen the miracles. They've witnessed the great love with which Jesus loves, yet they too, they do not believe. Why? John, Jesus said in, in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, he says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come into the light lest these works should be exposed. The Pharisees love their sins. They, clung, they cling to their sins like, like venom in the movies, in the Marvel movies. That's how tightly they clung to their sins. They loved darkness and they hated the light. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. And the only power by which somebody dead in their trespasses and sins can be raised is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we give our reason for the hope we have in Christ Jesus with those that we meet, we must remember this. We must remember that it's not by our strength that they will come to believe. It's not in our ability to articulate a well-constructed argument, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit who works through our share in the gospel. Yes? And so prayer is important. You know, as I highlight the Pharisees' lack of belief regarding the many good works of Jesus, I'm swiftly reminded of our own quickness to forget the good works of Jesus in our own lives as believers. When life gets hard, when trials come, when grief strikes, how quickly we can forget the loving faithfulness of God throughout our own lives. How quickly we can forget his mighty acts of salvation in our lives and in those around us. And ultimately, when we get to that place, when we get to that place where we lack belief, 
because of these circumstances. It's because we've forgotten the one true great act of God's, of Jesus's might, of Jesus's love, and that is his death on the cross for our sins. When we begin to lack belief, it's because we have forgotten what Jesus did for us on the cross. But we're reminded this morning that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen? Romans chapter 8 verse 18. Jesus says to his sheep, I give you eternal life and you shall not perish. No one is able to snatch you from my hands. Paul goes on to ask in Romans 8. He says, in, in light of God's mighty acts of salvation through Jesus, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, tri shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus doesn't promise us an easy life, but he promises us eternal life. In spite of many hardships, he will bring you through and no one will snatch you from his hands. So let us remember the good works of Jesus. He's worked throughout our own lives and the lives of others. And he's working throughout history for the good of those who love him. Let us remember. As you face opposition this week, as you face trials and tribulations this week, be comforted in this knowledge that Jesus is with you, he is for you, and he will never forsake you. Even when your faith is weak, the God who is greater than all has you in his hand, and from his hand no one can snatch you. So, to end our story, the Pharisees try and arrest him. Jesus slips off and it says that he went away across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing. And it says there he remained. Many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man came true. And many believed in Jesus there. After Jesus got away from the Pharisees who tried to arrest him, it says many followed him where he went and they believed. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. These people literally followed Jesus and they believed in him. They put their faith in him. And here is something I want us to, to recognize today. Belief and following are synonymous with one another. Belief in Jesus and following him go hand in hand. It's not enough to proclaim Jesus as Lord but continue in a life of sin. This is not faith. Faith without works is dead. We must be obedient. We must follow. But this is not done begrudgingly. It's not easy at times. Following Jesus, it requires sacrifice, does it not? 
I mean, look at the anguish Jesus endured in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was about to face death on the cross for the love of God and for the love of us. It was difficult, but he did not resent God or us for it. He endured that suffering with love and mercy in his heart. And likewise for us, it can be difficult to fight temptation. It can be difficult to love. It can be difficult to carry out our responsibilities as husbands and wives, as mothers and fathers. It can be difficult. As friends, it can be difficult to pray for our enemies, not to return hatred for, with hatred. It can be difficult to persevere, but love is our motivation. And I just want to say this morning, Jesus is all that is worth living for. And his promise to those who walk in his ways is not just eternal life on the other side of the grave, but an abundant life now. It's a joy to be a follower of Jesus, prizing our relationship with him over everything else the world has to offer. The Apostle Paul, he had everything. He had respect, status, money, wealth, intelligence. He had it all. He said, I count it all as loss. I count it all as garbage for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Pursuing the world will not fulfill you. It will slowly kill you. It will rob you of your peace, your joy, and your hope. Only in Jesus can these be found. And so let's go full circle. This is my final point. The Pharisees asked Jesus this question. Are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. I began by telling you that this interrogation took place during the Feast of Dedication. Judas Maccabeus, he was a Messiah-like figure. He overthrew the Syrians with military force. And the Jewish people during, during Jesus' time, they were under Roman rule. And they expected that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and reestablish the Israelites as a great military force once again. That is what they thought the Messiah would do. But Jesus states, I haven't come to overthrow an earthly power, but a cosmic power. Jesus didn't come to establish a worldly kingdom that will pass away along with all of its inhabitants, but to establish an eternal kingdom that will stand forever. A kingdom which no power can come against. Jesus came to defeat death, a foe that the mightiest of kings have no answer to. Jesus is the greater Judas Maccabeus. He is the greater Messiah. And this temple, the place where God resides on earth, the glory of God resides. This place you come from all over to worship, I am greater than. In John 1, 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus identifies Himself as the temple. He says, You'll destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up again, referring to His body. By Jesus' death, and resurrection, Jesus replaced the temple and became the place where we meet God and experience his, his glory. We experience the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus was the greater temple. Jesus was the greater Messiah. This feast you have come to celebrate as you circle me and put me on the spot. Even this feast points to me. Am I the Messiah, you ask? More than you know. I am the Messiah, and I am the Son of God. I and the Father are one. Amen.